For Friday, September 22nd, this is What's the Point? On the show this week, climate change. What happens when youth climate action sidesteps politics? To talk about that, along with this week's virtual in-studio guest, is The Pointer's special guest host, Rachel Morgan. As we transition into the fall months and back to school, everyone is getting back into a routine. But with this routine, there's this constant reminder that we cannot continue to live the way that we have been. This summer, we've seen this sort of tipping point for sustainability where and how many talk about climate change. What scientists have been warning about for decades has finally become a reality for Canadians. The headlines this summer have not lightened up with nearly half the nation set in a blaze. Meanwhile, we experienced extreme heat, droughts and floods. And all this while, we're fighting with our politicians to uphold environmental rights and make the much-needed transition to net zero. It's no secret that the province of Ontario has been raging over Doug Ford's Greenbelt policies. But while it may be to a lesser extent, Justin Trudeau's Liberals do not get a free pass. Canada currently has two monumental court cases underway challenging the right to a healthy and safe environment. The Mather case will head to the Court of Appeal in January to argue the failure of the Cap-and-Trade Cancellation Act that Ford instated in his first term. Meanwhile, the LaRose case on the federal stage is waiting for a decision from the Court of Appeal. So as we get back to work and back to school, people are fed up, especially youth, with the fact that nothing has changed. And so we are seeing a reignition of climate strikes. The major movement Fridays for Future held rallies in 53 cities across the country last week, with similar protests occurring globally. So today we have with us Kat Cornell, who is an Ottawa content creator and climate activist, who is extremely active in the climate movement and took the time to speak with protesters on Parliament Hill Friday to get the conversation moving of where we needed to be headed as a society. So Kat, welcome. Can you tell us a bit about how you got involved in climate action? Sort of what got you first interested in climate change and when did you realize the severity of the crisis? Yeah, hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I don't think that there was one tipping point where I suddenly became interested or showed empathy towards climate change because it was something that I've always been aware of. And I think many people of my generation can relate to that. It's something we learn in school that was discussed at my home and something I can see firsthand over the course of my lifetime. Um, so something I've always been passionate about. And I know that lots of Gen Z, especially in Canada, can relate to that. When I started wanting to do more for the planet, uh, that started with very small acts like switching to a reusable straw and trying to do reduce my individual waste. And I think that's how a lot of people start, maybe very imperfectly and very small acts, but th- it gets them thinking about what our individual roles actually are in this movement. And I transitioned to focusing on trying to take collective action where possible And that involved getting involved with the Fridays for Future group here in Ottawa and also in the online movement as well. And um, that's what brought me to the climate strike on Friday. It was not my first strike. I tried to get involved with all the strikes that happen here in Ottawa. And um, collective action has really given me my sense of power back, my sense of self-efficacy in this movement, I would say. Um, It's been really fun to get involved and also 
challenging work too. You know, it's really interesting how you bring up that point of like how young activists, they, they just grew up with this. You know, there wasn't a time where we weren't living through the climate crisis. And that's kind of what sets us apart from some earlier generations where, you know, they weren't taught this kind of stuff in school or their parents weren't trying to make these changes as they were growing up. For me, you know, I grew up in a household where, you know, my parents were aware of climate change, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they were doing anything about it, except I do remember, and it's my first sort of memory about trying to make these changes is how my dad would follow us around the house. And if we left lights on, he would turn them off. And so that was kind of the first thing that set in my mind, you know, oh, okay, we turn off lights to save electricity. Like this is something important. It's not it's not something that we can just use infinite amounts of. How much of an impact do you think that these sorts of things have on young people's desires to participate in climate activism? You know, kind of this nature versus nurture debate where we have some people who are obviously growing up with parents who are very involved in these movements, whether they're climate activists themselves, or we have kids who are growing up with without that, but they're still growing up in this age of climate change. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I'm in a minority where to care about the environment. You know, I think most kids, when they go to school and maybe you watch a documentary, I remember watching one about polar bears um, when I was young. I think most people leave the classroom feeling empathetic towards the situation and wanting to make a difference. And I think what defers one group from another is being able to act on that. And to be fair, I think a lot of people don't know where to start or how to get involved. And that's really holding a lot of people back. I think also, too, the changes that we've seen have been too slow. And that discourages a lot of people from joining this movement. And maybe we haven't been the best at reporting the news that is happening, the positive climate news, that the changes that are being made. But there is a lot of small acts and big acts that we can all do as individuals if we do want to get involved. Changing topics a bit to Friday. So how did it feel to be in the thick of the protests on Parliament Hill? And do you feel like leaders were listening? Yeah, it was it was a lot of mixed feelings as climate protests usually are. I had the privilege to speak to a lot of the attendees at the protest and I gave uh, some interviews with them and tons of mixed feelings. There's a lot of anger towards the lack of urgency that's happening right now in the climate movement. There was a lot of very motivated individuals who were ready to put in the work and who were willing to share their wisdom with others, which is really exciting to see. And I think there was a lot of hope, which is always what happens at these events when people come together and they see how many people really do care, how many people are motivated and willing to put in the same work that they are. It definitely fosters this great sense of energy and hope. To be frank, I was pretty disappointed with the speeches we heard from the political leaders that did attend. We had political representation from the Green Party of Canada, from NDP, and from the Liberal Party. And um, there was no representation from the PC. Trudeau was invited, but he did not attend. And um, our mayor also did not attend here in Ottawa. 
And I think most people left saying the same thing as that. And that was that their favorite speech of the day was a nine-year-old boy who spoke about the climate in such a motivated and inspirational and urgent way. And I think that's because so many of us, like myself, are really disappointed by the lack of urgency we're hearing from politicians right now. Yes, there was some representation there, and they were saying that they really cared about this cause, but I think we all wanted to hear more actionable items from them and not just empty promises. And it's interesting when we look at sort of when it comes election time and we see parties platforms and, you know, they're all promising the same things, but we don't know if they're really listening. But then when it comes to the participants, you know, we all have our own stories for why we want to get involved in the climate movement. And like, yes, there's this broader goal of, you know, we want to protect the environment. We want to have a safe and healthy future, but we all come from different backgrounds and different sort of family settings and all these things can play a part in why we want to get involved. So I'm curious to know if there was a lot of diversity of participants uh, when you were at the strike on Friday. And by diversity, I mean like minority groups, but I also mean diversity of political affiliation. Like, are we seeing people from sort of all sides of the spectrum want to get involved and also diversity of reasonings for wanting to get involved? Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, there's so many reasons to want to get involved with the climate movement. It was really interesting to see different representation from different professions there. There was a group of doctors and nurses talking about the implications of climate change on health. I spoke to a group of engineers who are really keen on making the transition towards renewable energy. So absolutely, there's tons of different types of people involved. And I was When I was doing my little interviews, I was asking people, you know, what's their why? Because I think that's really what keeps us all going. And there was a huge range of answers. But I think a lot of these people have one thing in common and that they have a very clear vision of what a sustainable future could look like. And a lot of these individuals were really focused on that and knew the science as to how we could get there and knew the role that they could play. And I think that sense of hope and optimism was actually is actually really key in this movement because obviously it can be very discouraging to see all the climate news and the natural disasters that are an effect of climate change that are happening right now can be very easy to get discouraged. And I saw these people had a lot of drive and I think a lot of that was coming with this shared sense of hope. You said that you were disappointed with some of the speeches from some of the political leaders. What do you think will have to happen in order for their attitudes to change? That's a tough question because I think so many things need to happen. In general, we need more urgent action and we need to listen to scientists involved here and transition, obviously, away from from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy sources. And that means giving up some of the economic gains that people in power are receiving from the fossil fuel industry industry right now and big oil. And maybe that's a shift away from greed and towards more compassion towards the earth and towards people. And I think that's beneficial for all, including the people in power, to have more of a collective mindset. 
That's a tough question. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's hard to, you know, they're people too. And we know that they can, some of them might really care about the environment, but there's this sort of forlorn attitude with governments. And unfortunately, a lot of times politics is about popularity and it's about money. And so this movement sort of hasn't broken down that barrier yet. For sure. And I think with COVID, we saw that these leaders are really capable of driving change fast when they see a threat towards to themselves. You know, with COVID, a lot of the politicians in power were of the group of people who was most affected by COVID given their age group. And they acted with urgency, with efficiency. And I think it's disappointing in the climate movement, especially post-COVID, to see that this is a group of people that are capable of implementing change very quickly and effectively, and they're not acting on the climate movement with that same sense of urgency. So I would really like to see politicians and other people in power to see how many people this is affecting right now, including themselves, most likely their families, their friends, their communities, and act with that same sense of urgency. Changing topics a little bit. So I was at the Peel protests on Friday, you know, speaking with the youth organizers, and they were talking about how they've seen a decline actually in young people participating in their rallies. And, you know, young people have so many stressors nowadays. You know, we're seeing rallies for LGBTQ rights, fights for racial justice, housing inequality, and even things that might seem smaller, like pressures for academic validation and, you know, financial security. In our parents' generation, having a full-time job was enough to buy a house and make a living. But here I am sitting at at 24 years old with a full-time permanent job, making a good salary, living with my parents. So I'm wondering how you think all these additional stressors can kind of play a part in people's abilities or even wantings to participate in the climate justice movement. How might they limit one's ability to participate in some of these outward forms of activism? And do you think that climate justice is something that's taking a hit with all these other stressors? Yeah, so we know that in 2019, um, we had the most number of people show up for the global climate strike with Fridays for Future. And since COVID, we have lost a bit of momentum in terms of the people showing up for these strikes. In fact, in 2019, there's some news leak that showed that Big Oil was actually very scared of the climate movement and didn't expect so many people to show up to that protest, and it was considered a threat to them. And COVID definitely slowed down the movement a little bit for logistic reasons. People couldn't go out and strike, and we're trying to build up that same group of people who are interested in getting involved pre-COVID, now post-COVID. You know, young people really want to get involved, and you hit on the nail when you said that they're facing so many other forms of oppression and barriers to getting more actively involved in their communities. And for that reason, I think it's really important to emphasize better mental health strategies because, you know, we can't show up for our communities if we're not able to show up as individuals and take care of ourselves first. And I think right now in a world where capitalism is trying to make us believe that 
we will only be happy or fulfilled if we are grinding really hard, as we say, and consuming lots. I think it's actually a radical act to focus on yourself, focus on your self-compassion and find joy despite the chaos that is happening in the world right now. So focusing on that mental health piece and taking care of ourselves is in itself climate justice, in my opinion. And um, I think that's where a lot of the focus needs to be for Gen Z right now. And maybe that's why people aren't able to show up for our communities as much. And I think a lot of people are lacking the resources to be able to focus on their mental health. So I think that's a priority right now in my advocacy is giving young people access to mental health resources so they're able to take care of themselves and later get involved in the community once they've done their own healing. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you brought up about mental health. And because, you know, we can't fight for something else if we're not fighting for ourselves. And we know that, you know, climate change is impacting mental health, especially the mental health of young people as well. And so we really need to take care of ourselves first. So then with that, how do you think we can make climate activism more accessible? So we know that there are many ways to fight for climate justice, and some are very outward, like attending the rallies we've been talking about, but some are also very personal and independent acts. So how can we get more people involved in the type of activism that works best for them? Yeah, I think the type of climate advocacy we need right now is public and involved advocacy. We have a lot of kind of silent advocates who care about the climate, but aren't willing to share it in their families, in their friend groups, in the other communities they're involved with, or share their advocacy publicly. I think also, too, a lot of people think being a climate advocate or activist is one specific kind of persona where you have to do it in one specific way, when in reality, we can all be advocates in the communities we're already a part of. I always tell people not to try to necessarily join a climate movement, although that's very important too, but to look at the communities they're already involved in or they're already a part of and see what actions they can make there. So perhaps your workplace, where's your company's investments going? Where is your yearly donations going? Can they be greener causes? Are you involved in a gym or an after-school program? Are there changes you can make there, such as including recycling, a recycling program or a composting program? Is there a climate club at your school? Can you start one? Can you join one? What are they actually doing? You know, There's actually so many communities that we're already a part of that if we look to and look where we can make action, we actually might be the best person to implement action in those communities. So I think taking back that power, getting involved in collective activism, collective action is um, where we can be most effective. And also with collective acts, when we're part of communities and we're working together towards these goals, it creates that sense of hope that we were talking about earlier that is so important to drive climate action and to keep the momentum going. I was reading last week in the Journal of Environmental Psychology uh, leading up to the climate strike, and an article I came across showed that after protests like this, our sense of self-efficacy within the climate movement 
increases. And that is a huge driver for change and to keep us motivated within the climate space. So actually these these protests, one of the best things they can do for us is give us that sense of hope and really foster a collective version of self-efficacy. So I think getting involved in collective action whenever possible, realizing, like I said, the groups you're already a part of and taking action there is super effective. Yeah, and I really like this idea of morphing our activism into the things that we already do every day. You know, when I was in university, I didn't really take part in any rallies or protests. It wasn't really something that I was comfortable doing. You know, I wasn't very outgoing. But in my role here at The Pointer, I feel like I've kind of found my sweet spot where I can combine the things that I love to do with my contribution to the climate justice movement with also my source of income. And I think that I'm very privileged to have that opportunity, but also very grateful that I'm able to combine the things that are important to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to play to your strengths too. Like you said, you were able to find kind of where you fit best, what your role is in this movement. I think everyone's is going to look very different. So I think rather than trying to be this maybe idealized version of a climate activist to just look at how you can greenify your life and your job and your role in your community is really effective. Mm -hmm. So then just finally, where are you hoping that your activism takes you? What are your next steps? Yeah, I think my advocacy has changed a lot over the years. Like I said, um, when I kind of started trying to get more involved in the sustainability space. That started with just kind of how I was consuming and trying to reduce my waste. I had a bit of a zero waste phase. And now looking back, I've seen how much my advocacy has evolved and grown and how much more effective it is now. So my only hope is that as I continue to learn and grow, I can become a more effective advocate and get involved even more in my community and make real changes together in the communities I'm a part of. So I hope in a few years time, I can look back and see how much progress I made and how much more effective my advocacy and activism is. So as we continue to face the devastating impacts of climate change, we are going to continue to see more people waking up to our reality. And hopefully, it won't take long before politicians follow suit. So I want to end off with a quote from anthropologist Margaret Mead that I think is very fitting for this topic. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So thank you for our conversation, Kat, and for sharing your experiences and perspectives on the ways more people can get involved with the climate movement. And for all our listeners, we'll see you next week on What's the Point. show was hosted by Rachel Morgan, produced by yours truly. Music from Shahed. Check out new episodes of What's the Point weekly at thepointer.com and find us now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm Jeff Chalmers. Thank you for listening. See you next time.